Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. I'd like to thank you all for the warmest reception of my latest single, my first English single that came out last week for Lakba Omer. If you haven't yet, check it out, Kol Isha. And I also wanted to make a disclaimer and not a disclaimer at the same time. Obviously, if you read the title, please do not listen to this if this is too sensitive for you. This whole podcast is all about talking about the sensitive topics and issues, so I don't think we need disclaimers on this show, but I did want to point that out. Before we start today's episode on abortion, yes, I changed things around. We have mental health and birth control coming up next week. We will be covering the topic of abortion today from a personal experience. Before we get started on that, I'd like to thank Sarah Zolden for connecting me with Hannah Sarah Gabler, who gave me permission to read her post out loud. We tried doing an episode to talk about the formula shortage a little bit, but we couldn't make the timing work. I will be sharing and reading her post. Quote, I'm so happy this is being spoken about. This should not be going on in a first world country. I'll share a nightmare that should not have happened. We had to toss over 24 containers of food due to the formula recall. She stayed on Pedialyte for 48 hours until the doctors could even figure out what to give her. While waiting for that food to be delivered, because it can't be bought at a regular store, I had to give her typical food, which caused projectile puking 10-15 times a day. When the food finally arrived, it caused terrible, terrible diapers and rashes. But the puking went down to about 5 times a day, which was such an improvement that we were willing to put up with it. When I called in our refill, we were told that since everyone switched to their formula, It was now on back order, and they didn't know when they would have any more in stock. Back to Pedialyte. We got ready to try another formula. The doctor informed us that due to my daughter's GI issues, if this one didn't work for her system, he didn't know what other options there were for her. Baruch Hashem, this one ended up decently working out for us. From speaking to other parents who have been dealing with this as well, it could have been much, much worse. There's no reason that our children who are medically dependent on specialty formula should be potentially left without any means to get food. End quote. I thought this was an important topic to bring up, even if we're not dedicating an entire episode to it. I do want to recognize all the incredible organizations and communal support that stepped up and provided families and mothers with formula during this time. And hopefully this is a short-term problem that will be resolved soon. But it is definitely shocking that this is happening. And if you are new here, you probably don't know that I am a podcast success coach. So I help people launch their podcasts. I help them with production, optimizing workflows, becoming better podcasters, marketing, growth, monetization, all of those amazing things. So if you or anyone you know needs my help, please do reach out or make an intro. I'm so grateful to you. This is how you support the show. Of course, if you'd like to sponsor the show or donate, those are always welcome. And I really appreciate your support. I've been getting from you. Another way you can support, which is absolutely free, is by joining the WhatsApp discussion group, participating there and exploring new ideas and topics for future episodes. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you probably will enjoy the other 
Jewish Coffeehouse podcasts, especially because this topic abortion has been covered on probably most of them. So check out Orthodox Conundrum and Chochmat Nashim, as well as Intimate Judaism and Let My People Eat. And here we go. Welcome back to the Francisca show, everyone. I am excited and a little bit hesitant to do this topic here, but I think it's such an important topic, especially with what's going on now, because abortion does become very politicized. We're here to talk about abortion, and we have someone here to talk firsthand about her personal experiences, as well as her experience in supporting other women and families through this difficult journey. So welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Let's get started. You did tell me a little bit about yourself that you are a Balchuva, and I don't know if that's relevant. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your religious background, and how did your story with abortion begin? I think the fact that you said I was a Balchuva, that is part of my story. Growing up as a secular, liberal, democratic, New Jersey girl, I went to public school. I didn't have much Jewish identity. And I saw the society at that time growing up in the 1950s and 60s as extremely superficial, materialistic, and restrictive. Okay. The hippie era definitely colored my view of the world and the Vietnam War. I was definitely anti-war. And I grew up my parents were Democrats, and they were very much into civil rights and freedom and civil liberties. But they were very strictly, they had a moral framework that was definitely not pro-abortion or anything goes, free love. So I rebelled in high school, and I had relations, you know, out of, like, sexual relations with, I, I didn't, ha I wasn't so promiscuous, but I had a long-term boyfriend and I also had a relationship with somebody who was older than me. And I guess I didn't take as good precautions as I had uh, done previously. And I became pregnant at 18 years old. And I was devastated because my whole life like, would have been completely altered. And, and I don't know if I would be the type of person that would actually give up a child for adoption. So I chose an early um, abortion. The only place that you could get a legal abortion was New York City at the time. So my friends drove me in and it was very quick and it was an early stage. It was like- How early? It was probably like eight weeks, you know? And I, we went and partied. Like we were, I was so happy to get rid of the burden and, my, and, and I didn't tell my parents, you know, I didn't tell anybody except my friends, the friends who took me knew and even the donor father, I didn't tell him either because I didn't want to be pressured because he was older and he probably would have married me. But I wasn't ready at 18 to get married. I was not even graduated from high school. I, you know, it was just a couple months away. So that kind of colored my view of the issue later on, Roe versus Wade. And I was very militantly supportive of abortion and women's rights and the women's rights to choose how we want to live. And I didn't really respect the religious opinion that from the moment of conception, all life is sacred. I have a different view now. I, I still believe in women choosing, but I think it's a big responsibility. It's not an easy decision. And it's one that I made 
and I suffered from. It wasn't, you know, I partied this, the next day, but for the next X amount of years, I definitely see that part of my life and the pain of my life may have been as a result of denying that this was something important and something spiritually, a responsibility that was a big responsibility and that I didn't take responsibility for. I was happy to get rid of. So fast forward at 25 years old, I was already living my life. I traveled all over the world. I was a very independent person, went to a few colleges, had almost a bachelor's degree, but I decided to quit, lived on communes, hitchhiked around the country, through Europe. So I had a you know very exciting life, but I was still searching for something. And I looked in different religions. And um, at 25, I actually became pregnant again. And I made it, a, of course, I said, of course, I'm going to get an abortion. And the people I was living with were like, you can't have a baby. Like, you have to have an abortion. Nobody supported a child, and especially a child with a single parent. And, and I was living as a potter. I basically had enough money to either pay for my studio or pay for an apartment. So I chose the studio and I lived in my van in the parking lot of my studio. I really didn't have any money to really support a child as well. The father of the child came to be with me. We weren't going to be together. We just we made that decision, but came with me to take me to the abortion. And I, at the last minute, I said no. And I decided not to have the abortion. And I was living at the time with a woman who was a single mother with two kids, and I was taking care of her kids in exchange for living in her house. And she said, I'll take care of you. Like, you just stay here and have this baby, and we'll raise this baby together. And that's what influenced me. And also the doctor, amazingly enough, it was an abortion clinic. And he kept saying to me every time I would go to my, for an appointment, you would make a great mother. Why don't you consider, you're 25, you know, consider maybe you might not want to have an abortion. I'm like, what are you saying to me? Like you do thousands of abortions, like you're an abortion clinic. Because I just have a feeling about you. I just have a feeling. And I was like, you can't just have a feeling. You're a doctor. This is what you do. Don't get me confused. He goes, I just had to say it. I don't usually say this, but I just had to say it. So that also was a, a seed in my mind. So when I called up to cancel my appointment, the entire office, like he said, wow, I'm so happy. And he tells his office worker and she says, happy baby. We're so happy for you. Now this is an abortion clinic. It was kind of threw me off. Like, wait a minute, that's not supposed to be happening. And the father the donor actually left, and that was the last time we saw each other. So I decided that I would have this child, and I didn't know how I was going to raise the child, and I wasn't into Jewish way of life at that point. I had a friend who had become somewhat observant, not totally Orthodox, but she had started a commune that focused on home births. So she heard about that I was pregnant. And she said, why don't you come raise your child Jewish and come to our commune and we'll take care of you. And I was like, no, I'm not interested. I'm, an, I'm more interested in Buddhism or Hinduism or artists. You know, I was in, in an artist community. And she said, well, that's not fair. She said, you made a choice not to live a Jewish life. 
coming from parents who were very Jewish, but not observant, but you made a choice to give it all up. But now your unborn child is never going to have a choice. Like you're, you're denying that choice. You're not even educating yourself. So I said, okay, you have given me Jewish guilt, mother guilt. So I will come for one Shabbat and I'm not promising. And she was like, great, great. We'll figure out which Shabbat. So I went to this commune and I was probably about six months pregnant and they were wonderful. And it was such a beautiful Shabbat with meaning. And it was a lot of, you know, it's little kids and parents taking care of their kids and single people and people really trying to make a better world from a Jewish perspective. And I started thinking like, wow, Judaism could be spiritual. And maybe I need to look into this for my unborn child. They said, you can move in tomorrow. You choose when you want to move in and we'll do a home birth here. So I was like, okay, I don't really want to go to a hospital. I would love to have home birth. And one of the women was studying to be a midwife. I felt, And she had a backup doctor and it felt very safe. So I moved in. I gave up my studio. I came with my dog and moved in, in New York. It was upstate New York. And it turned out that the doctor that was our backup said, I can't, we, you can't do a home birth. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, your baby's breech. So there's nowhere in the state of New York that you can, if there's any complications, I can't be involved in this. And it's a, and it's a high risk. So we had a relationship with the farm in Tennessee, which is uh, Gaskin's farm, which had a Ina May Gaskin is the most famous lay midwife in the world. And she developed a whole lay midwife program. And she just told the woman, the midwife that was on my commune, the Jewish commune in upstate New York, she said, send our sister down. We'll take care of her. We do breaches all the time, home birth. Two guys in another commune who were Jewish, I guess, because uh, they had come for Shabbat, they said, you know, we've always wanted to visit the farm. We'll take you. So alone, I went down to this commune in Summertown, Tennessee, in the middle of nowhere. They took me in and made me family. And the birth was beautiful in the middle of the woods, but they also gave me the option. So they, they said, either you... We're not supportive of, of abortion because we have options for women who want to be here. So one of them was, have your baby and we'll help you put it up for adoption and find a really loving, beautiful family that you approve of. And, you know, we could help you do that. Or you could just give up the baby and you don't have to deal with the pain of the continued relationship and we'll, we'll find adoptive parents. Or you could have foster parents and then come back for the baby. Or you can stay here indefinitely with your baby. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to stay. So I stayed for two months and it was really a very special experience seeing women, single mothers and married women raising beautiful children in a loving atmosphere. And I knew that I had already been planted the seed of Judaism. So I wanted to go back to the Jewish commune. Someone else took me back and I wound up staying there for like seven months. And then I started thinking there's more to Judaism than this beautiful spiritual experience I'm having. Plus, I'm a single mother and all these people, for the most part, 
it was either single people or married families. And I was somewhere in the middle because I wasn't single and I wasn't married. So it was very isolating and kind of, I needed to be in a community. So I left and did a little bit of exploration and eventually found an Orthodox community. And my daughter was about two and became Orthodox within two weeks of two years of exploring Judaism. So two weeks of being in a firm community and was accepted. The problem was there weren't that many single parents, especially women who were not divorced, in a firm community at that time. But because of my personality and, and it was a small community and it was not a very Haredi community, there was a lot more acceptance and ease and easing into a lifestyle. And also I eventually got married. So a year later after I became observant and then had five more children, still married 40 years later, and my husband adopted my oldest daughter. So that's my story. I made a choice. I took responsibility. I made another choice. I took responsibility. I made sure I didn't have more than one kid out of woodlock. You know, like doing it once, when I hear of women having multiple children and no man connected to them, that kind of bothers me in terms of education and responsibility. I said, you know, you can have one strike, you know, maybe two strikes, but three strikes, like that's a difficult one. So I'm definitely supportive of educating women in terms of options. And I feel that a lot of the anti-abortion movement, they don't provide any options. Like the farm provided me options and, and also didn't make me feel guilty about those options if I chose life. But I feel like in society, there's, there's a lot of stigma and, and there's, a lot of, there's not a lot of resources. And women can feel they're not taking responsibility because someone, an outside system is making that responsibility for them. And it's really the issue is between a woman and God. It's not an easy decision as an adult with consciousness to choose abortion. And it could be a very painful one, but it's a choice. And I feel that legislating this religious view on all women in a country where we had had the rights of choice, the right to choose, it's not taking us forward. It's not going to really solve the issue because there's going to be abortions and they're going to be illegal and, and women are going to wind up in jail if this happens. And also it could be dangerous. I mean, abortions, when I was an 18-year-old, a lot of women died because they, they were getting abortions anyway. It just wasn't safe. So I made it my mission to like educate women both ways. I think what you're talking about is when I helped, I did help women to find resources in the firm community who were pregnant and they couldn't tell their families. There was no, no support systems. These were extremely religious families where, you know, this was the, the daughter who was off the derrick, you know, but they didn't know. Or if they found out the off the derrick daughter was having a relation and got pregnant, they would be ostracized from the family. And some of the women that I mentored, they loved their families, but they admitted I was young and I wasn't thinking through my, dis, you know, what happened. And so my job, actually, I was not allowed to know their names. I didn't know their families. I didn't, 
probably didn't even know where they were from, I don't think. But they were allowed to call me to get advice on choice. So I really left the choice up to them. You know, I didn't tell them what they should or shouldn't do. But I educated them on what are the implications of this and what are the options that you have that would enable you to connect with your family in a safe way. So whether it be marrying the person and then the family would would know, but it would be all out in the open. You know, it's like there's a, a chance with a counselor, the family could heal. Or if you're going to choose abortion, just know that is your choice, but it may not be the best choice for you. And, and it's between you and God, you and Hashem. And that was the easier choice for a lot of these women because no one would know. They didn't show. Nobody knew they were pregnant. If they had an abortion. They could just quietly go back to their life. And they would have to live with their, their choice. What is it like living with a choice? For me, it was self. I, I see a lot of my self-destructive, like, after that with depression. And I, my family has depression. So I just attributed it to a genetic issue. But I think that not everybody who has genetic issues has to manifest them in a clinical way. You can take care of yourself. I think I didn't really care too much. I was extremely, I put myself in a lot of dangerous situations that I didn't, didn't really matter. I was more interested in the experience than in the self-preservation. So it made me somewhat irresponsible about my own valuing my own life. I think I was immune to how it hurt other people when I would be irresponsible. And, and also that I hurt myself, like I, drugs, alcohol, sexual relation, you know, like I was scattered and um, looking for something, like always feeling like there was something incomplete and some pain that I had to fix. But I didn't attribute it till much later when I was in therapy and also that I, the fact that I had a child. So I knew the other side of that later on, but I didn't attribute it to the abortion but my therapist, who is Catholic, who um, basically brought that out, is it, is it, could all these self-destructive qualities have started after that abortion? Because you don't sound like you had them before. And did your exploration, it helped you explore your spirituality in a much more profound way, but were you actually doing it in a healthy way? Were you trying to, were you, were you, valuing you, your, your life and the people around you. And I started looking back and I was like, you know what? That's really was, it started there. There started to be a spiral down because I was avoiding myself. I was avoiding looking at this issue as an important issue. And I think that's the, that's what I bring to other women is, you know, don't think that just because you have an abortion, you're, you're clear, you're home free. There's a spiritual rectification. People say, well, it's not really a life. I say, I admit it is a life. It is a potential life. We don't know if it would manifest into a baby. You don't know if that's going to happen. But you can't deny that it's not the beginning of a life. And that's a responsibility. And I don't know what else to think about other than you have your moral framework. You have your people you trust that you go to. And then ultimately you have to make a decision and live with that decision. 
And avoiding that responsibility can also be devastating. And, and I actually know people who have gotten suicidal because they didn't face that decision that they made from a place of healing. It was a place of blame and constant. So the young women who come to you, do they all go through some sort of therapy? That's not my job. But if they go through an organization, the, I think the organization actually helps. But the one, one story was really, it's a great story. She used to call me in the middle of the night. Like every time she would want to go, she didn't really want an abortion. But she didn't know how because the guy she'd had this child with was a Balchuva and her family were Haredi. And they would never have accepted a Balchuva. And she would have married him and then had this baby, had, you know, relations. But she knew that they would never accept the child. And she was young. She was like 18, 17. So she would call me because she really did want an abortion. And she was connected to me through a rabbi that I knew. And I said, you know, it's really your choice. You can do it. But you also know that we have resources for you that you can go out of town. You could tell your family you want to go, you know, school out of town. And we can work with your family and educate them. And when you come back, either you have given your child up for adoption and you can come back and nobody knows except your family that you're gone, that you were gone for a, another reason. You can finish high school. I think she hadn't finished her, her high school de degree in the other town. We had a family that was going to take her on. She didn't know anybody in Chicago. And basically, it was, she would have the baby, and then she could decide whether she wanted to keep it, go back to her family, and deal with the issues around her family with support, with this rabbi support, or she could give her child up for adoption. And there were plenty of families that would take a, a child. She was healthy. She was, the child was an adoptive child, if it was a healthy child. It was like a couple of months and we arranged for her as soon as she started showing that she would go to this family in Chicago. And we arranged a ticket. We arranged the family's going to meet her at the airport. So the family met her at the airport and there was nobody on the plane. So I start calling the rabbi and like he starts calling the girl and it turned out she had run away with the father of the child whose grandfather was in California. He's in somewhere on the East Coast. The grandfather was secular. So he basically said, I will support you and I will help you, but you guys have to get married. So she married him and she called me up like two years later and said, I want to thank you because I'm married and I have two kids. So she had the, the baby that was there and my parents have accepted me and accepted him and it all worked out. So that was the joy of that. You know, if it didn't work out, okay, but at least there was an option and she was given a choice and she was given a chance to talk to somebody about other options and she made a choice. I didn't know that she was going to make that choice. I had no idea. I really thought she was going to go for an abortion, but I was very happy when I heard And, and I think years later, she called me again when she had four kids. Same guy. <laughs> you know, she was married. And the family was really accepting and happy that she was back in the family. Are there any examples of women you spoke with who need abortions for other reasons than young love, 
I didn't think of this. This is not the right time. I'm not married. I mean, I know older women who couldn't deal with having another child after they had so many children. Most of the women that were in that position either gave their child up for adoption or kept the child. And just the fears, got over the fears, went into therapy and got support. And, and community support. That was really important for some of these women. They're so stressed out. And I, th I think one of the issues when I became an early Balchuva was birth control was like un almost unheard of. And, and I remember going to a lecture by one of my rabbi in town here on birth control. And there were like Beis Yaakov girls in the post Beis Yaakov girls in the class. And he was talking about that there are reasons in Torah Judaism that you can use birth control. And I heard one woman in the back going, what are you talking about? You know, we went through, they said, and they told us birth control is never acceptable. And he's a big rub. And he said, well, it's not really the problem with you. It's the problem with your educational system because you're not being educated as to what are the issues. It's not a blanket check that you can have birth control whenever you want. There are Rebbeim who you consult with, but it is an option. There are reasons why abortion or birth control could be an accepted option. And they were totally shocked. All these girls were like, we've never heard this. We've never heard. So I think that has changed with over time that people are more educated. Women are more able. There, There's women who are trained to consult with women. I think women need women to talk to about these issues. And when, when I first became religious, it was really good where you went to your row. There weren't a lot of options for women to consult with women. And also in abuse cases, like there was, there was nowhere for women to go and, and they weren't believed, you know, it was always the woman's fault, the woman's fault, you know, you're not doing something this, you know? So now we have organizations in the from community that women can go to and talk to trained professionals and have access and confidentiality. And so there's a lot of options today that can be supporting women to help them. But ultimately what's going on in America today, I can't take a mainline view of we need to rescind Roe versus Wade. We need to make abortion rights. I mean, some of the inconsistent abortion rights policies that are being put through these states provide a lot of confusion and a lot of like, I mean, it, it's just taking away a woman's ability to feel safe in their environment and in their life and in their bodies. And also it doesn't give accountability to the man. There's two people, it takes two people to make a, make a baby and it's all being placed on the woman. We need to separate this idea of church and state, we need to honor this idea of church and state that really this is a moral decision. Now, I don't have the same view of after 24 weeks, because then you might have a viable fetus. So late-term abortion, I have other feelings about. This There's so many different categories for the state of abortion. And that's not for me to pass in for anybody else, but just to know that there are other, there are other views and each state is creating a different view of that. Let's talk about what's it like for someone to carry their baby to term knowing they're going to give it up. Do you have any knowledge of that experience? 
I do from two perspectives. One is if you're talking about the Orthodox community, yeah, it's a very difficult one. And I think that I do know grandparents that have helped raise the children and that they've healed. I know women who have left the from community because they just knew that they didn't have a place and they raised their child. And I also know women who have given children up for adoption and it's still painful. Like I know one woman who gave her child up for adoption and it was a Down syndrome child and they couldn't find a Jewish family to adopt the child because there were no services at that point that would help with a disabled child in, in the Orthodox community, knowing that she had to give her child up and a non-Jewish family would be raising the child was doubly painful for her. And that every year on the child's birthday was the most painful experience, like having a yard site and always wondering what this child would have been like. Could she have done it? Yeah. It's a decision that we each have to live with, but without a support system and without a compassionate support system, it makes it even more difficult for a woman to make the choice for life. Also to stay in the Orthodox community. Did you ever regret your decision? I didn't regret my decision at 18, but I do accept the fact that it was a painful and spiritually, there, there's a spiritual wound that had to heal. Wasn't, But I don't regret having done it. I'm happy that I had a child at 25 and I was, what, half an hour away from an abortion and I decided not to do it. And I have no idea how that moment happened. Like it was just one minute I was getting in the car to go for an abortion. The next minute I was calling up the doctor and canceling. So it wasn't even a thought process. And I'm glad I did it because a lot of wonderful, amazing things came out of my life by making that decision for life. I did have a lot of great support system afterward, supporting that decision. If you don't have that, I I can't. I mean, I've seen tragedies and I've seen people heal, you know, but it's much more difficult than what I did. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious about the dynamic between this is not just a woman's issue. This is the man and the woman it takes two to create a baby. They're sort of not, it's not their choice. And it makes sense. It's not their body. It's not their choice. But many times they don't even know. I'm talking about accountability, responsibility, and the emotional burden of every aspect of this, whether it's aborting or having the baby or making the decisions or going through the hormones and and the entire space. The men are sort of not allowed to have a say unless they're invited. And that's true that at some level, if you're not married and you're not in a relationship, But in terms of the legal aspect of it, in a lot of these laws, women can go to jail just for buying an abortion kit, you know, early abortion kit. And it's found out. Are you talking about plan B? Oh, I, you know, I don't even know what they're called because I never, but I I hear them being talked about is the, where you can take a pill and an early abortion. And if you buy them, you can be put it in and the government finds out in certain states, you can be put in jail. I'm like, you know, what about, there's DNA testing for men, like make the men accountable. Men can impregnate a lot of women and make a lot of babies. So if there's accountability for men, then maybe you'd have a lot less babies. Women can only have a certain amount of babies they can make. Why is it more acceptable for a man to be promiscuous 
than a woman, you know, in society or in religious societies. I don't think the way that the law is going is a healthy thing and it's a good thing for society. But I also hear the stress being placed on women when men were responsible. And is there some accountability? If you're, if you're creating accountability for women, why not include some sort of accountability for men? And what that is, I don't know. There's some people have talked about reverse vasectomies with men who father more than one child and men taking responsibility that even, you know, if it's a one night stand and they fathered a child and the DNA testing shows that they're the father, they have to support that child in some financial way. Um, It's hard for families that were happily married at one point and then divorced to get child support. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. And there's ways to do it. know each other. Yeah, but we're talking, that's a different legal issue. Like but, making people pay is, is an issue yeah, <laughs> in yeah, society. Yeah. Right, unfortunately. But I don't have any solutions, and I don't know what would work in terms of society and in the long term be a healthy um, way to approach it. But um, I wouldn't want legislation to determine what I should and shouldn't do when it's my it's my body and it's my relationship with God and with the seed that's been planted. The idea that legislation would be enacted that might put me, I, I mean, I'm an old lady, but put my daughters or a young woman at risk for going to jail because of her decisions. I think that's not where the society should be going. The problem is that most people agree on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's that those few little <laughs> moments where people disagree when it comes to maybe the reason mm-hmm. or the amount of weeks the baby's at. I think most people agree that after a certain time, there are a select few who are okay with it whenever, but most people agree you know, after a certain point, it's, it's killing a baby. But the way it's done Today, it's also like, let's get an ice cream. Let's go get an abortion. I mean, that's how I felt. That's how I felt with, at 18. I felt like, you know, wow, I just got rid of like, you know, a, a wart. You know, like, like it was like, wow, now I can look beautiful again. But you suffered so much after that. But I didn't attribute it as a suffering. But I do let people know that I didn't attribute it at the time. But now when I look back, like, that could be what you're putting yourself into if you make that decision. You know, like, don't think it's just, you know. Scott free. It's cream. And even if you don't want it, like, I, it wasn't a conscious thing, but it was spiritually and emotionally something that crept up on me. And I didn't actually see the relationship until much later. And I'm also pissed, so now I see that things that we do out of thoughtlessness, you know, we're not thinking through, often have repercussions. And we see that in Hamash, we see that in family systems, that there's generational issues. I created a generational issue, maybe by having a child and not going for that abortion, did a little bit of a tikkun on that, that issue, but I still suffered from it. And to think that you would never, ever suffer from it, I mean, a lot of women think that they they won't, and then they find out, like me, that really there was a certain accountability that we had to face and that we can't deny it. So if you're not home free, 
but it's your decision. Nobody's taking that decision away from you. This has been a very enlightening conversation. I think there's so much more to this topic. For example, how do we provide more supportive environments? Yeah, that's, that's crucial. Adolescents and young adults who are potentially being irresponsible when it comes to, and I know there are accidents. And also like there's, it's not taught from community, like birth, birth control before you're married is not really taught. I, I mean, maybe in the modern Orthodox world, but in the yeshivish and world, I'm sure it's not, I, I doubt if it's talking about. <laughs> because you're not supposed to be having premarital sex. But it's like, that's crucial. A lot of girls and boys, they don't even know where babies, how babies are made until it's older. Until after I made them. About. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? You don't know, you know, like you you have your period and you don't know that this is what's going to happen to you and your body. And that a guy gets, it just amazes me how uneducated people can be. And we need to, I mean, in this world, people need to be educated. And there's no excuse really for not educating, putting it in the realm of, you know, confidentiality and parent choice. Yes, when you do it, how you do it, but at least educate your child so that it's done in a way that doesn't put your child at risk for ignorance. And also you don't want to open up birth control for promiscuous, for having relations that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise, but you can't, it's like anything else. You can't totally control what people are going to do and young people are going to do. So why not give them the resources? Also what you said about support systems, like I was very lucky. I found people who gave me incredible support systems, even before I was Orthodox. And that enabled me to make a decision where I really had a good things happen from that decision. And that's another idea is that if you're going to make these laws, then you have to create the systems that allow for a group home or a family adoption to adopt a, a woman who wants to have a baby or want to take care of her and help her. Like I had that. I wasn't thrust into society and all the judgments of a society and having to make a living. And I actually only collected welfare for a very short time. I went back to college. I got a degree. I got a profession. Having that kind of support system was amazing. Like I didn't have to create that. It was there for me. It enabled me to create a really awesome life. But had I not had that, I don't know where I would be. It's scary. To think that I, if I didn't have that. So what you're saying is true. Like there's very little support for making that choice of life. You said you didn't have solutions and you have plenty. You have educating the community about how the body works and how babies are made. <laughs> we have creating more supportive environments and communities. There's also the fact that, well, the whole adoption thing is so complicated because I've been in touch with people who really, really want to adopt mm -hmm. babies in America, and it's practically impossible. It's very, very tough. And meanwhile, abortions are happening every day in the same states. And I'm not saying it's not an emotional and physically hard thing to carry a baby to term that you're planning to give up to a family and then knowing this baby exists. Those are all complicated matters. But maybe talking about this more and people sharing their stories of abortion and how it affected their life, even though many women don't like to admit that affected them. And mm -hmm. like you, you didn't even know it affected you until a therapist pointed it out to you. 
there's a lot more to talk about. And I'm happy we started this conversation of bringing these topics and awareness. I know we did a birth control panel here about a year ago with a rabbi, a sex therapist, and we're trying to bring awareness and education to the community by talking about these Mm -hmm. issues and challenges and the things that we think if we ignore, they won't happen, but they do. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea our conversation was going to go here. Because <laughs> the uh, one thing about the birth control issue, when I I had uh, my children decades ago, but I had three kids under three, and I was in school, I was in college, and I remember one rabbi told me I didn't ask for a pesach halacha, but one rabbi said, "Don't think I'm going to give you birth control. I'm going to give you a pesach for birth control just because you're in school." But I had three kids under three, and I, and I had a boy and a girl. You know, it's like so. I didn't ask. I said, I'm not asking. You know, that's what I said to him. I said, I'm not. You could have said, I'm asking for a Hector, not because I'm in school, but because I have three kids under three. (laughs) Yeah. But I said, I'm not asking because I didn't know where he was going to be. And I knew if I asked that I would have to listen to the Basakalacha. So I went to another rabbi who was close to, and I said, you know, in this situation, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, you know, I'm not asking for myself, but in the hypothetical, because there was nothing written about it. There was nothing, there was no internet. I couldn't look up different opinions. And I didn't know how was I going to survive this because my body was a mess. And I did want to finish my education. So one rabbi said to me, well, this is kind of, you know, this is not an unusual Pesach but a lot of rabbis don't use it. You know, in the Gemara, it says that women nurse till they were three years old. So yes, I can give you a Pesach for a certain type of birth control till your last one is three then it would be almost four years apart. Because if that's acceptable, then, you know, we'll work together on which, what type of birth control would work for you. And I was like, wow, that is really refreshing. You know, like, okay. Like I didn't think to ask before. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't because it's all hashkacha. You know, I have these three great kids that had I asked earlier, maybe I wouldn't have had some of those kids because it's a moment, the seed and the and the egg are a moment in time, and it, and if you wait, if you have a different moment, it's a different child. And I'm happy with the children that I had, but it's like there was not a lot of education as to like is that acceptable? And I think we're changing that here, and I really hope I hope we are changing here. I make it my business to educate people, even when they don't want to be. And you had the panel discussion because yes. to have that open discussion within the Orthodox world is. Unusual that rabbi was, people were shocked and they couldn't dispute him because he was a big rough here. The main thing I would say, it's not an easy decision either way. And you really have to have people to support you to think through these decisions and know that there are repercussions and there's also good things that can happen. So, and you don't know, you have to, you have to really know yourself and know and educate yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're wonderful. It's so glad that you're opening up these discussions. Thank you so much for sticking around until the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on whatever podcast listening app you listen to. If you want to go a step further, please tell a friend or a family member about the show so we can continue to grow. And of course, if you'd like the show, you might like other podcasts on jewishcoffeehouse.com, such as 
Orthodox Conundrum, Intimate Judaism, Chochmat Nashim, and Let My People Eat. If you need help with your podcasts or your brands, please do reach out. Let me help you grow, monetize, launch your shows, continue building the movements that podcasting allows us to create. Please join the discussion group on WhatsApp. The link is in the show notes, as well as tune in next week for our mental health and birth control episode. And of course, my Shidduch initiative. If you are looking for a soulmate to marry, please do reach out. I am still working on this initiative and trying to do my part in helping set young adults and older adults up and find their Bashar. See you next time. Bye.